We are the agent rainmaker community. We are a group of letting agents that have got together and said, you know what? We're not going to do it like we've always done it. We're going to do things differently. It was the most amazing experience. It was the best thing that we could have done. The little community that's been created, and it's amazing. You don't get that anywhere else. I think she's the patron saint of letting agents. Without her encouragement, I would never have done this. That is Agent Rainmaker. We see things differently. We see opportunities, not obstacles. We are here with the one and only Tom Breeze from Viewability, which for those of you that don't know, is the, I would say, the company and the person we're talking to, we're not worthy, we're not worthy, the person for <laughs> YouTube ads, pre-roll ads, all those sorts of things that you see on YouTube when you're trying to watch your videos. This is the guy that actually makes them really interesting and engaging and actually makes you want to watch them. Tom works with some of the top people in the industry, putting out ads and sharing their content. And we wanted to bring him on. We wanted to find out about the real Tom Breeze. We want to find out about his success, his trials, his tribulations, his business story, and what nuggets he can share with us as to how we can do the same in our businesses. So Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. We are absolutely honored to have you with us here. So I just want to kick it off. What made you get into YouTube ads? I mean, we met, I think it was about 10 years ago, eight years ago. It must have been right at the beginning of YouTube ads. What made you get into that? Yeah, so there's the long version, there's the short version. Um, I'll, I'll give you kind of a, uh, the short version. I can go back further if you want to as well. So um, at the time I was running a company where we would create videos for clients and then we would look to get them promoted in whichever way we could. So it'd be like almost like put them on every platform and, um, and then what we'd do is do like lots of press releases around the video or any news that's interesting and push that traffic back to the video. And it was all for SEO, trying to get the videos ranked on YouTube and Google and trying to see what we could do. And we, we did really, really well. There's a lot of great rankings we got for clients. And um, that was the kind of the business that we were building at that time. And then it was almost a, over the space of about three months, Google changed everything like all the search algorithms and how things were appearing in the search results just changed. They started doing all these updates, like they would call them out of animals. So it was like a panda. hummingbird update, panda, penguin updates and things like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's all these things that came up and I'm not a, a, an SEO geek, um, but my business partner at the time he was, and we were trying to keep ahead of things. And so I, my job was to get really good videos put together and my business partner's job was to get those ranked, basically. Um, and we just found like there's so much change happening um, that we saw it with websites first, like website, big websites as well, like big corporate brands, not necessarily our clients, but a lot of clients um, that we had as well, all ranking, all doing really, really well. And then just randomly just disappear and end up on page four or page five, where basically there's no traffic to those uh, sites. And um, and so it became this like fight as to survival and see if you could keep your rankings there um, or you found that you just couldn't do it. And you, a lot of people like companies just started brand new websites again uh, to just clear out all the old stuff they'd done and try and replace it. At that time, I was looking at the kind of that situation thinking, what on earth do we do at this point? Because we've got clients paying us a lot of money. We had them ranking and now they're disappearing off the front page of Google and basically losing all their traffic they had from us or from the work we were doing for clients and um it was one of my close friends that were like close business friends we we're doing work for and i was like look 
this is the one that I don't want to lose that client if at all possible. So I took that client's videos we had created with them and I come from an advertising background. So I've done like a lot of Google advertising when it first came out and YouTube ad advertising had just started. I was like, okay, let's see if I can get this worked out. Let's see if I can figure this one out. Um, and so I took the video ad and worked out how to run a video campaign on Google and ran the traffic. And I think I kind of fell into a bit of luck, really. We had a really, really good ad. We'd focused a lot on that. And I knew advertising the actual platform as well. So I, I had like a bit of a precursor to success. But then I ran the ad and it was just like the perfect time. No one else was advertising on YouTube. So it was dirt cheap. Um, and it was just one of those really good opportunities at that moment in time to be advertising on that platform. And so I called up the client and said, look, we have lost your rankings, but hopefully you haven't lost too much of a traffic that's coming through. And they're like, we've got so much more traffic than we have done a week ago. This is amazing. So, like, okay, cool. That's, that's good to hear. <laughs> Are those people buying your products? And like, yeah, they're all buying just as they have been doing before. I was like, that's great. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Cause I spent my own money to try and salvage that relationship. Um, not get, not use the client's money. And um, so I said to them, well, what would you pay for one of these leads then? Because we're doing it in a slightly different way. Like, is, could give us a ballpark figure. And um, I think they said about, I can't remember the exact number that it's about 10 pounds per lead, basically. They were saying that I'll pay you 10 pounds for every lead because they're making us about 30, 40 pounds for every lead that you send through. And I was like, great. Well, that means that for every 10 pounds you give us, we're kind of giving you 40 pounds back, basically. And they're like, yeah, that works. And I was like, okay, cool. Because I looked at my account and we were getting leads in for about three pounds, four pounds. I was like, great. That kind of works well for both parties. Like <laughs> we're doing really well on the, on the, I don't know how long those like figures will last like that for, but for me, for me, I was like, great. I can spend a low amount and make 10 pounds and the client makes a load of profit off the top of that as well. It's zero risk for the client. And it just, it's all on me to see if I can run the campaigns effectively. And we did that for a few other clients. The margins weren't always quite that good, of course. <laughs> um, and um, and so like what we ended up finding is we ended up replacing all of the SEO work we have been doing with clients. And we just transferred it all over to advertising. And I've never really looked back from there, really. Like, so every client we work with, even today, we do it on, a, on that performance deal. So we, um, we fund the advertising, we create the ads, uh, there's no monthly fees, no percentage of ad spend, like, like most traditional agencies. And instead we just say, look, just pay us some results. And we just agree whatever a successful result looks like. That could be a cost per lead model or a cost per sale model. Um, sometimes also we do like rev share growth uh, models as well, or even do like profit shares as well. So loads of different ways of structuring something where it just becomes performance-based, but zero risk for our clients. And, it's really um, unique in the marketing world, isn't it? Because so mm. many of the marketing uh, agencies, I don't want to call you a marketing agent, but people in the marketing agency world, which is normally where people would go for marketing, it is very much about, we want a spend of this, we're going to charge you three grand a month and X amount for a campaign. And you get, well, what if it doesn't work? I say, well, you know, we're going to do our bit. And it's just, uh, and I think for most yeah. business owners, that is the risk, isn't it? You know, because you're putting so much trust in somebody that doesn't really understand your business or product and there's no guarantee of results. Mind you, I suppose there never is, but it really does make you stand out, doesn't it? It really helps. And people say, well, that must carry a hell of a lot of risk, like to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't because whilst we might, like say for example, like some of our biggest clients will be spending close to, I don't know, like you said, $250,000 a month or something along those lines. It's not like I wait till the end of the month and then say, and here's your invoice for $250,000. It's, 
I'll be invoicing them more often than that. <laughs> um, so I don't I end up with this huge debt that's owed to us. Um, so we'll end up kind of invoicing them on a weekly basis, maybe, or something like that. So it still means you can be quite a lot of money um, owed to you. But if you've got a strong relationship with that client, you've been growing over, over time, you learn to trust them and, and grow with them as well. But the, um, the other thing about it as well is that a lot of people say, well, maybe you, like, I can't afford to create the ads for clients um, and I couldn't do the same thing as you because I, I would need to be paid for the work that I do on the ads and all this type of stuff. And it's really interesting because I find that if, we, if you just take away all that risk for clients, it becomes an easy yes for clients. And also they, they instantly perceive that you must know what you're doing, um, which is, well, we wouldn't be here if we didn't know what we were doing. Um, but the beauty is that we spend zero time on trying to close clients and pitching our services and things like that. Like we, our, our marketing does all of it for itself for the fact that the financial model, and if we get good results with clients, they end up telling three or four more people. So referrals are really strong with us. And um, you're just in that situation where you're like, right, I don't have to employ a salesperson and go through the whole rigmarole of going to pitch our services and things like that. We're just kind of saying, hey, look, let's just agree a deal and we'll see if it works or not. Um, and you've got nothing to lose and we'll do all the work. And it's, so it's, we close business really quickly and inevitably we'll make more money with that client than if we had a flat, retainer um so it just works really well for us that model it's one hell of a strategy it really is i mean i think you know when they say in business you've got to find something that makes you stand out and at the same time they've also with marketing you've got to find a way that to say how good you are without going we're brilliant come and see us look at our reviews we're awesome you've done that all with one thing haven't you really because like that that we don't work for everybody. We will only work for you if we're confident we can get you the results and we, we put our money where our mouth is. It says all of that without any marketing or any sales. It's genius, really, indicate. Yeah, I think I think you also, I presume, have to be very selective about who you choose to work with. And that in itself puts you up there on, you know, people are, they want to, they're fighting to want to work with you. They're trying to prove themselves that they're eligible to work with you, which is, which is you know, incredible in sales because you're getting people to sell to you for them for you to take their business which is the, the dream really in the end of it isn't it well it it is a funny situation because you end up a couple of things happen one year you have to be very very selective another thing that happens is that you end up being very selective on your own time of where you end up promoting yourself if that makes sense so i get asked to speak on stage at certain events and things about youtube advertising and i I don't want to be that ungrateful speaker or anything like that. Um, and I don't often charge for, I'm not that kind of speaker that can, like not like a keynote speaker. I haven't climbed any mountains or anything like that anytime, any, any recent times. Um, so it's not like I've got that kind of pulling power to be a speaker and it's not something I really drive for. But I'm very aware of saying that if I go and speak at an event like that, what sort of prospects are likely to end up turning up? Um, and it often feels like, right, we then have like 20 prospects in the, um, that kind of contact us after a big speech or something on those lines, of which maybe one or two of them might be good for us. And I'd much prefer to be like, right, just use the referrals that we've got um, and talk to the right people. And that inevitably makes it a lot easier. Because another part of that qualification process is often making sure that the kind of the psychology is right with clients, because the it doesn't like whilst they come to us wanting an agency, they end up realizing they actually almost get like a partner because if we know we grow and scale together, then it's not a case of a client saying to us, 
we want to do this, make it happen agency. It's much more of a kind of collaborative approach to be like, that's great. I don't think that's the best approach right now. Here's what I think we should do instead. And it feels so much more like a, a partnership where the client and all of my team are all on the same level. Um, we're not kind of succumbing to client pressure or something on those lines. And, and we have often, like we have in the past flirted with the idea of just doing a monthly fee because we say no to so many people that we know we can help, but it just doesn't look as exciting for us that we can really grow and scale and that type of thing. So we did open up another part of like another offering within our agency to do like a lower scale, a thousand to $2,000 a month type deal. Um, we filled it really quickly. And then we just realized it was just such a different setup with clients, like the people that we're working with, um, whilst, and it's not a reflection on them, it's just more a reflection on, on how we're used to working with clients. And um, it felt very much like, no, no, we're going to do it this way. And this is how I want you to work. And, and the agency was just like, oh, we're changing the culture really big time. And, and, and it's not like my staff enjoyed working with those sorts of clients. Um, and that's, again, I don't want to say anything negative about anybody because it's just different ways of working, right? And um, I knew that when we have a big client that we love working with on a performance deal, the client loves it, we love it, and it just, it fits perfectly because it feels like a partnership together rather than someone doing work for somebody else. When you pay for a service, you you have a certain demand and expectation surrounding it, don't you? Because you've paid for that. Whereas if you're only paying on the results, it's a very different mindset, isn't it? Of of the of the the customer, I should think. I should think that felt really weird uh, within your business when when you did that. It felt like we were selling what we had in mind. Yeah, we were kind of saying to the people like, oh, "No, we think we should do it this way," and they'll disagree, and we're like. Oh, wow. No, we're not going to, this is, this is no up for debate at this point. We've been doing this for seven years constantly on YouTube. Like we kind of know what will work and we've done it this niche 10 times already or something. We tried that many a time and it never works. And it's, it was an interesting experiment. And then we always go back to just doing pure performance-based stuff. Do you know, I mean, are you, um, I probably should ask you this question. I'm going to anyway. I mean, are you unique in doing this? Is there many people that do it on a results space like you? I mean, or, or are, you so, the, are you the one, the only one? I, no, I don't think I'm the only one uh, for sure. Like that, you tend to find a lot of people that get good at what they do um, in our space end up doing almost like their own brand. So they kind of like find their own business and build their own companies and don't want to work with clients, uh, which I get. Um, and then another thing is that a lot of people go to the affiliate world. So they start finding products they can promote and just say, oh, I'm just going to promote those all day. Because it's, um, you tend to find that people that are really good ad buyers or really good creatives don't necessarily want to build a big agency. And I don't necessarily want to build a big agency, but I do definitely feel like I don't want it to be always on me. Um, so I might jump on a few calls um, with clients every now and again, but really it's the team that does everything these days. Um, so my job is uh, to basically look at what we're doing and make sure we kind of optimize in the process. And if we're straying away from some of our standard operating procedures or something along those lines, it's just a case of like, well, why are we doing that? Can we improve what we've already got? And that type of thing. A little bit of closing some of the big clients, um, tiny bit of strategy, but really the team take over at this point. But it's, it wasn't like that when I first started. It was me doing everything <laughs> from, from the ground up when we first started. Um, but it's, yeah, and it's taken several years to get to that point. But yeah, I think that over the last couple of years, especially the team have really 
taking it to another level. Um, How did and it's, you transition focus. from that? Because I know that that's that's a struggle for so many big business owners that it, when they're doing it and they're they're in control of it and it's them doing it, it works. And then they get start to grow and they get bigger and then they step away and they have people and then it then it doesn't work anymore. And, yeah, and yeah. then you know, and so many people get to that point, don't they, of being able to do that, but it, it all falls apart and it goes back down again. How did you? transition what's what advice would you have on that transition so it's it's a really really tough question to answer because I can look at it retrospectively and be like oh it was all rosy and it was all fine <laughs> and if I was actually in it I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> but I almost probably lie to myself to say like oh I remember when I went through it It was actually a lot easier than I thought it was it's like it's childbirth like... you forget after the <laughs> yeah. years of having a child I, no I, no it's fine you after, again. after you're like I'm never having another child <laughs> I'd love to be able to relate to that, yeah. <laughs> but I, I understand. Yeah, the, the, I believe the metaphor is correct. Yeah, the, um, the, yeah, the, I think the way that I would look at it is to say, if I was to start again with with hindsight a little bit, because it's very difficult for me to think about myself not going through that process again. You need to have enough cash flow and enough money to be able to employ somebody for sure. Like even if it's like a, a virtual assistant or someone, there's always some task that can be done by somebody else that takes a long time um, and it's repeatable and it's just it's not actually a difficult thing but the problem is that when you first think of that task you think okay i'm gonna have to teach someone then i'm gonna have to train them on it um, and keep them trained on it and then once they're good at it then it's actually a disruption anyway because i could have done it in 10 minutes and i got on with my day um, but i now tell them to go and do it. And then it's like by half the day, they send it back and I'm just slowing down everything. So there is that process that's really frustrating. And you have to go through that in terms of choosing a few tasks where you say, right, I don't need that process any longer to be done by me. It can be done by somebody else. And you hand it off and you're never allowed to do that again. That's the tough bit, never allowed to do it again. Um, I had a great analogy from my buddy, Mike Rhodes, who runs an ad agency uh, and is a incredible. And uh, he was like, you need to have one day a week when you first do this process to have like an oven mitts day. And I was like, an oven? I don't even know what that is. Um, he says, imagine you have to wear oven mitts for a day. And so the only thing you can do, you can't use your keyboard. Uh, you can't even really pick up your phone. The only thing you can do is just talk to other people and train them and give them advice. And I was like, that's actually a really good analogy because if you had to put oven mitts on for a day and you can still talk to everybody, that means you can't actually do any work. You can only like show people what to do. And, um, and so I kind of tried to take that approach to things or like, even if it was retrospectively, I'm, I'm trying to outsource more and more of what I do because the other thing that you end up finding, you get like this, you get this positive cycle where you end up finding you're not doing half the work any longer. So you can double up capacity um, or just take more time out um, or like wherever, wherever you are in your business, you can be like, Hey, I I just want to spend more time with the kids or I haven't been doing this for a long time and I want to have some more me time or whatever it is. And as soon as you get to that point and you start realizing what you've built is something that is actually running a business now, not just being a freelancer, basically. Um, that starts to change everything because then as soon as you realize that flip can be switched, two things happen. I find that one, your team are better at it than you are, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> so it's like, oh, brilliant. You guys are just dealing with all of this and not without and without me. You're building a bit of a culture, um, but you realize you don't want to do half the stuff any longer. You find you're kind of like, you're really good and you're really passionate about one or two things and that's it. 
Um, anything else you don't want to be doing anymore. And if you can trust in your team, it means you can go and do those things you love. And then you can actually really focus on the stuff that moves the needle. So um, I love working on creative stuff from a standpoint of like thinking about new ideas. I don't like sitting there and writing a script because the team are much better than that than me. But it's almost like the psychology behind a script um, is where I feel like if I can understand that and then I can train the team on that, that's what I feel really passionate about. Um, so that's kind of one of the areas that I look at. But yeah, the transition is slow and you've got to find a good team, which I'm like, I employed someone to find me a good team and they did it, they did it brilliantly over the space of about a year and a half. But um, I was doing it and hiring the wrong people and having all wrong kind of situation. But that was partly me, partly the people I hired. Um, but then that all cleared up when you find someone who is experienced in your industry and knows that world really, really well. If you find like a good operator, everything becomes easier. So um, have you have you set your team up so there's like lots of mini Tom Breezes and they all sort of all do a bit of everything or have you done it like a lot of companies do and, and split it so that this person does the video, this person does the script, this person does the recordings, so they all do their individual roles, but they all work together as a team. Which way have you done it? The latter. So, yeah, the, the yeah, the building people who are specialist at certain areas, um, the we, we found that was the best way because the we end up real so most of our team is remote as well which i think probably lends itself to that sort of setup anyway but the doing it in that way means you can hire specialists and you say i just want this person to become the best in the world at doing this one thing because if they're the best in the world at it i feel comfortable that, that process is going to get done brilliantly every single time i was like great they're really passionate about that one thing they are specialists at that area and it's like i have no problem that that, that piece of the puzzle is now fixed forever as long as they want to stay with us um, and they can fit into our culture and that type of thing the if we've had like lots of mini tom breezes then um whilst that'd be a, a nightmare i would hate to go into that job <laughs> um, i'm not the easiest person to work with i don't think sometimes my team are, make make it work very well but um you end up becoming so aware of what you're good at and what you're not good at and if if we had like generalists in every role, I think that would be very difficult to get good quality work out, um, potentially. I think some of the skills that we have, like writing scripts, is a very, very different skill to buying ads, like actually doing the ad buying process. Like it's like a very technical, analytical skill. And there's a very creative, psychological, artistic skill. And it's very rare to find those two people. There's one person that can do both really, really well. Um, I like to think that I can have one foot in either camp, but um, I have to kind of, if I'm going to do one or the other, I have to almost have a day of just doing creative work or a day of just doing analytical work. It's very difficult to flip between the two really, really quickly. It's like almost like you have to try a different head for, the, for that moment in time. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it's better to have, in, in our industry especially, better to have um, specialists. Now we work with a, a lot of business owners from all over the country and marketing is always a like, oh, marketing, marketing, marketing. And what would you say to someone who's hired a, and I'm telling you this because this is what so many do, they'll hire a 17, 18 year old and tell them to just do the social media thingy. Hmm. What would you say to that? Oh, based on just, what you've just said. Yeah, it's based on what I just said. Um, because okay, so there's, there's part I of me agree, that's like- I agree with you in all, in all, of, our, all of my businesses, I've always sectionalized everything. So everybody does an individual thing because I find that easy to recruit for, easy to train for, easy to motivate, manage and all that sort of stuff. And if some person leaves, it's only one part of the role rather than the entire role. And, and I use this role, uh, this 
analogy with our tenancy managers at the back end, try and teach someone to do everything from the front to finding a property. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of ignorance out there around what marketing is. And so when you hire somebody of that age, you're expecting them to do the Facebook ads, the YouTube ads, the videos, the posts to understand your business, the emails, the databases. And it's just crazy. But I mean, it, it, it's so common, but what's the answer? Do, do you know, I think that the answer is finding something that works and then doing that so like social media for a lot of business owners is like oh and you can just do the social media stuff but they have no plan no strategy no anything around that it's more a case of oh just just post some stuff and then they're like okay tell me what you did or how many leads that got for us it's like you gave them no instruction whereas if you were to do it in in your business um you would be a case of like right your job is to do this. Here's the SOP. Here's exactly everything you need to do to get the client to do this and for us to do this. And it'd be laid out really nicely. So the training is really simple. And so someone can go through it and they can't really stray too much from the operating procedure. Whereas if it's like an, um, for most people, a social media role, it's like, and you just go on Facebook and do stuff. <laughs> it's just like, that is not the way to do it. Get engagement, um, get engagement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just more posts. That's what the answer. Yeah, yeah more. And more just posts. do the same yeah. and more. Yeah. Brand recognition. I think people are yeah. still saying that. Mm. But I think the way, yeah. and so I, I, the way I tried I, yeah. to say is like, well, would you would you just dump somebody in any other role in your business and say, just do the client accounting, just 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 do it. Here's the bank yeah, account, yeah. Just, just do it. And you wouldn't. And so I think what you're saying is learn it first, understand it, know what needs to be done, and then give them goals, targets, train them, monitor, manage them. But there seems to be a big resistance in people understanding marketing. And yet I think it's one of the most important things. Even if you don't do it, you need to understand what needs to be done in your business because without marketing, you've got nothing, have you? I mean, it's all right for you because you've got all these clients coming in, but but you've found an edge, you've found an angle, you've, you've worked it in a very, very special way. But so many people don't do that. So it's, it's kind of that... Um, if you if you were to do like end of year goal setting or quarterly goal setting or something like that, you're going to end up saying, okay, here's where I want it to be. Here's like the end result. Here's like the, um, here's the lag measure, let's say of like, I will deem this successful. Should we get an extra uh, 400 clients, let's say, or four clients or whatever you want it to be. So you say, okay, here's what we want to do at the end of this quarter is achieve, let's say 10 new clients, for example. And then you say, right, well, here's my lead measures to achieve that. And you need to have someone who's in an, in an experienced position to say like, okay, cool. If you need 10, then you need to do, you need to make sure we get hundred prospects. And in order to get hundred prospects, we need to do this. And in order to do that, we need to do this. And so it might be like, we need to do um, a thousand posts on Facebook because we know that works for us. And if we get a thousand posts, that probably means that we need to do 500 videos and then 500 images uh, that we need to put together. So that's what we need to do in this quarter. And let's work out how we implement that. And then all you can do for that 17 to 18 year old, um, it, it tends to be that sort of age group for some reason that gets such a bad rap, rap. but those, those are the best people sometimes um, because they just, if they're given a plan, they execute ridiculously well. Um, but if you give them like, okay, we need to get 400 to 500 posts out because that's going to mean that you're going to get a thousand people looking at this stuff, a hundred prospects, 10 clients or whatever that kind of numbers we said just a minute ago, then it's like, right, well, you've worked out a, a way of doing this with, somebody else and you said if you are able to achieve that then we should get that goal easily and it's like great now everyone's on this level playing field because you've kind of decided what strategy you're going to go with how much work needs to go into it now if they don't go and do the work different thing altogether you, that's a bad employee 
um, or really, really bad plan because it's just unachievable. But if it's achievable and they don't do it, then it's like, okay, we need to find a new person. If it's achievable and they do it and it doesn't get the result, and that's not really that person's problem. That's the person that like decided upon that strategy, um, that the strategy was wrong. And so, and I'm not saying like one has to be right or wrong. It's just more a case of like, choose something, make it achievable to say, this is what we think is going to work best. And from there, execute that. And if it doesn't work, then don't blame someone and say, oh, well, social media is wrong. Um, or that it's, it's, or that person is really rubbish at social media. It's like, they're probably like working their ass off and doing ridiculously well for you. Um, you just gave them the wrong thing to work on. So th- what I would say is like, the way to do this is to find a strategy that works for your company, agree upon it, work out what those lead measures and lag measures need to be. And then it becomes a lot easier to say, did we do what we are meant to do? If we did, did it get the result? If it didn't work it out, like you can be a lot more diagnostic there to say, here's where it went wrong and here's how we're going to fix this for the next quarter. So many people that I speak to in terms of, of advertising and marketing and social media, um, especially in, in our industry, the property industry, is they don't seem to understand the, the consistency and the volume needed to get the results. So it's like you say, right, let to get that, you know, lead time, we need 500 posts in, in a quarter kind of thing. You know, most of people we speak to or the problems we've had are people going, well, I've, I've put a couple of posts and we got nothing from it. So it obviously doesn't work. Um, whereas I think it's so what you're saying is you need that plan and you need to get to the end of that plan because in order to, to get the results, you need 500 posts out there in that quarter. Not we've done three weeks and we've not had much. So we'll just stop that and that money's wasted. Do you think consistency is, is one of the keys to, to, to marketing online effectively? So I can only talk as an advertiser because I don't really do the, the marketing aspect to it. What, what I would say, though, is that every time we do a campaign with a client, we're not looking to build something on a, um, a one-hit um, wonder thing like an event, for example, or a, like, say, for example, someone's going to do a webinar, for example, and we're going to promote that webinar, then I don't want that webinar to be a one-off, or even maybe a, we're going to do this three times um, type thing. Now, you can do that. You can go that route and say, okay, cool, let's, let's, pull all our marketing effort for a month into just getting people to turn up to this webinar. And I get that um, because you can have ridiculously good results that one time scarce event. So like, if you don't turn up, you're not going to see it and it's going to be a waste, so to speak. So you, people turn up and they, they realize it's a one-time thing. And so they're kind of excited about it, but I'm much more interested in promoting things that are much more evergreen to say, this is going to be the same offer this year and next year. And it's going to be maybe done in a slightly different way, perhaps, but it's going to be, it's not going to be one webinar. It's going to be a webinar every day or an, like it could be an ever, evergreen webinar or, or it could be like a, a survey um, kind of like, or a tool that helps you diagnose your problem in your business or something along those lines. It has to be something that is around for a long time because consistency with ads is key. If you, if you gave me a month, I'm going to get an okay result with advertising. If you gave me six months, month six are going to look like 10 times better than month one. Um, and you just, because you get to kind of spend time optimizing and testing and trying new things and exploring new ab- ab- avenues and areas and um, saying, ah, oh, great, well, now we've got momentum in this area, we can now do a really clever remarketing thing here. You can build upon it as you go. Whereas if it's just a one-time thing, you're doing a load of effort and, and you're, you're only using it one time. It feels like you're 
who are then going to be scrounging around for the next big webinar you do, and they may not have as good a results. Like, so I did a, <laughs> I did a, an event for some realtors in uh, how to promote yourself with YouTube ads in, in the US. We did like a challenge thing. It was a four week challenge and it went ridiculously well. We had so like many people in the first one and everyone created video ads. They were all brilliant and I loved watching people do it. And it was great fun. And then we're like, great. Well, because I was working with a partner at the time, they were like, we're going to roll it out to the rest of the, uh, the email list. And I don't know if it was the rest of the email list or whether it would be uh, the time because um, parts of America just started opening up again with COVID and things. But um, our conversion rate on the webinar went from something, uh, it was crazy in the first one. It was like 50% of people that turned up to the webinar ended up buying or something. It was yeah. ridiculously good. Um, and then um, the second time we ran it, it was like we had three sales from something like 500 people turning up on a webinar or something. It was exactly the same pitch done in exactly the same way. Um, and so I don't think my performance was terrible on the webinar, but we had far fewer people hit it. And the reason I tell you that story is because um, the uh, when it comes to like that sort of world, like the training world, or um, if you're running like a one-time event and then you're trying to replicate that same thing again and again, it actually becomes like, these big peaks and troughs in business. And I, and I don't like working in that way. I prefer to find something that's consistent, reliable. You wake up in the morning and there's no like, did it work well yesterday or not? It's like, it's, it's been working well for six months now. We can rely on this. We can really sit back and, and rest on our, um, not rest on our laurels, but more case like have something we feel really certain about and it can continue to scale because then you're actually building something long-term and, and, um, and, it, and it positions you very differently with your advertising than if you were to try and promote the next big thing. Talking about consistency with YouTube ads, um, how have they changed? Obviously, they're probably a little bit more expensive now, I'd imagine, to what they were when you first started 10 years ago. But the style, the, 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 the delivery, I mean, what's changed about YouTube ads now compared to what they were before? Because I'm thinking back to some of the old ones from 10 years ago. They were pretty hard, weren't they? It was just like, buy this. But now <laughs> they're almost like some of the ones you did. They're like mini shows. They're really quite cool. So in your words, how have they changed over the years? What should people be doing now that perhaps they were do, weren't were doing before they shouldn't be doing now and vice versa? Yeah, good question. So in terms of changes over the years, then loads and loads has changed um, in terms of the ad formats and perception as well. Like I still feel like YouTube is that is the online version of TV. And so when you're advertising on YouTube, you kind of borrow that, we call it a heuristic, like a mental shortcut almost to say, if you see an advert on TV, your shortcut mentally is like, well, that's a good business. They must be doing really well if they've got an ad on TV. Um, and you, you kind of, if you advertise on TV, you get that brand play there. And it, and it and actually plays a big, big part in your success. And if you do the same thing on YouTube, same thing happens. Like people see your ad on YouTube and they're like, oh, you must be good because you've got an ad on YouTube. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, and so you kind of borrow that success as well. And that hasn't disappeared. That's still there. Like, I don't think you really get that from any other platform. And there's a, a certain amount of fame and kind of success you have with YouTube advertising. If you advertise on YouTube, it's not like anyone's forgetting you anytime soon. They tend to remember your ad um, for good and for bad. Um, so yeah, you 
you see a lot of like ads get ripped apart in the press, um, like the Pepsi one, which is trying to be all inclusive and that type of thing um, years, a couple of years ago. And then, then, then I find like we run ads and then our clients will say, I got recognized on the street the other day. That's never happened to me and stuff like that, which is really cool. Um, hopefully that's what they want. Um, and so there's, there's like lots of big impacts. I think that the, I, I can come coming full circle and like looking at how we've approached YouTube ads. One thing that we've done very differently and it's getting us great results over the last, probably about the last year or so, is um, I've, I've come from a psychology background. So I've always been very passionate about like understanding actually what it takes to get someone to buy something. And from an ad, from a first impression where we interrupt somebody to the point at which they end up buying. And the, the thing that's shocked me more than anything is that you can, when you're interrupting somebody, you, and you probably had this experience yourself, when you uh, watch a YouTube ad, it has to grab your attention to begin with before you pay attention to it. And that's kind of 101 of advertising, right? But to actually understand what it takes to interrupt somebody and get them listening is actually really interesting because a lot of people just throw a lot of mud at the wall and say, well, that's, that is a good hook or whatever. What we found more than anything, and we're starting to prove this out more and more to ourselves, is that if you open up with something that's a lot more catching, not to the conscious mind, but more the unconscious mind, then you have a much, much better chance of success with your YouTube ad. So you probably think, um, well, let's probably think about, um, if, you, if you were to look at a lot of people that are running ads, normally what happens is they get a copywriter to help them write an ad. But a copywriter is normally great at writing copy. That's what they're employed to do, like write text onto a page. Um, and they're brilliant at that. But with you, with like videos, you can create amazing ads and not say anything for 30 seconds sometimes. Like there's an ad out from Masterclass um, with Gordon Ramsay doing his cooking thing. And he says two words to start with, which is watch carefully. And he doesn't say anything else for another 27 seconds. And then he starts talking about the fact that he's released the Masterclass. So words don't actually pay, uh, that don't actually aren't that effective when it comes to running YouTube ads. They're good, but you need to have some words in there. Of course, people need to say something, but how those words are used is very like, it's a very conscious brain processing. You have to understand what someone's saying, your, your brain comprehends that and you have to think about it and then it makes sense to you. But the unconscious triggers, which are things like what you see in an ad and what you hear and the way you feel about things, that's what really draws people in to begin with. Because if you can engage their unconscious mind, the conscious part of their brain will only then get woken up. It's like the unconscious brain is saying like, I'm going through day to day, like this is what I'm used to. This, uh, I want that other way. And then the conscious brain wakes up to work out how to make that come to life. And so like what's in the background, what the scene, yeah, yeah, something interesting. Cause they do, they are getting more interesting now, aren't they? You think, well, why are they there? What's that? What's going on? Is that what you mean? Some yeah, exactly. So, so let's say, for example, if you were to create an ad, uh, Sally, and you were to be in the home office, let's say, and you were to film something, um, that's gonna. As soon as someone sees that setting, they're not even listening to what you're saying to begin with. They're seeing the setting, and that means something to them unconsciously. We don't realize we're picking this up, but it means something big, like really important to us um, as viewers. So, what you need to like, there's three elements to it. There's kind of like the desired emotion we want to draw in for somebody, their identity, and also some sort of activity, because that's always a good hook, something happening in the video itself. So the way that we do it with clients is to say, right, well, what do we want our customer end feeling to be? 
And normally you look at your products and you say, well, what's the benefit of that? And if they get that benefit, what emotion would they feel? So let's say, for example, you're helping someone build a business. Let's say the end result of that might be they really want to just feel freedom or independence or successful or what's that feeling to them? And it might be, let's go with freedom for a second. Um, then the first scene that someone sees you in better emulate freedom. Otherwise, their unconscious mind is not going to be that interested in what you have to say. So they want to see freedom. Now, what does that look like? It might look like you spending time with the kids, you're on a beach, you, I don't know, whatever it is that kind of is important to you that's still relevant to your audience. Um, but if you show that, then that kind of draws them in. Now, the identity, they need to feel like they can be you. That's what they kind of want to try and see. They want to see you and say, I want to be like you. That could either be, I actually want to be like you or like, and have what you have, or it can be, I want to fit into the same sort of group that you're part of as well. Um, so it's, it could be a, a social thing, or it could be an independent, like an identity thing or a status thing. And the third part of that is an activity that kind of wraps that up nicely. So it could be like one thing for freedom could be you playing with the kids, for example. Um, and in that scenario, it means like, okay, cool. You've got time, you've got freedom, you're playing with the kids. That's an activity that your viewers might love to do. Like, oh, I wish I could do that. But you're kind of wanting the unconscious mind to say, I wish I was that person doing that thing, feeling that emotion. And if you can, like, if you can show that in the first part of your video, then unconsciously someone's drawn in. And then you can start talking about their fears and you can start talking about your credibility and your methods and um, testimonials and that type of stuff. But they're not going to be prepared to listen to that until they feel like, that's, um, I want to be that person doing that thing, feeling that emotion. If you get that bit right, then video creation actually becomes pretty simple. But um, yeah. that, what came, came into my mind was the Prince CA videos that he makes. And uh, like the first scene, he's in a hospital bed and you're like, you're just scrolling around. You think, why is he in a hospital bed or he's in a jail or, you know, you just, you just absolutely transfix them. You've got to watch the rest of the video to find out what the hell's going on. So I know it's not an ad, it's, but it's a, it's a post, but it's that moment of like, why are they doing that? Where are they? What are they doing? Yeah. yeah so, so that one's perfect because with a lot of the ads or a lot of the videos he creates, it's such going to be such a pattern interrupt. Like it's a, such a um, violation to your normal kind of viewing on YouTube that it grabs your attention. Right. Um, and it's like, what's he doing there? And so it, our curiosity, you've got to click, um, which is part of the, of the thing of you being doing an activity. Like let's say for example, and you can do this in any, like lots of like car adverts do exactly the same thing. So I've, I've bought a car in the last like six months. And um, the reason I bought the car is we were having a, um, well, actually long, we bought it long ago because we've got um, our little girl now. So we, we went from two kids to three kids, which means that you have to get a new car that can fit seven seats and all that sort of stuff. Um, the third one always changes everything. <laughs> um, and the, so we bought a new car. And so it's a perfect buying experience for me because I watched this, this car on TV. It was being advertised. And the car was like a four by four thing. It's driving um, along like mountain roads. And then it kind of gets this secluded beach. And the, and the guy that gets out gets his surfboard and runs into the waves and starts swimming. And I was like, yeah, that's the car for me. Um, and I didn't know anything about the car and how much it cost at that time or anything like that. But unconsciously, I just knew that, I, that it appealed to my sense of adventure. Like if I have that car, I become more adventurous. I get to do adventurous stuff. I want to be that person doing that thing, feeling that emotion. That was like perfect for me. And then logically, my conscious mind is then at that point thinking, how on earth do I get this car? 
Um, like, what do I need to do? Because and now it's like I'm making up stories to myself or I'm being fed stories that make sense to me. Like, oh, it's got great mileage. Great. Okay, cool. Um, it seems like you can get it on a good deal right now. That's good. Um, oh, it has got seven seats. Brilliant. Um, and so I'm starting to tell myself these lies in order to justify my unconscious want of this thing. Um, and before I know it, I bought the car. Um, and it was like, I, I consciously want to say, oh, no, no, it was because it was this, and it was because of this, and logically it made sense to do this, that, and the other. But if I, I did psychology, so I'm very good at understanding my own behaviors, and it's, it's not pretty viewing sometimes. But it's kind of, I know that my unconscious mind chose it a long time before my conscious brain tried to make logic uh, to justify that decision. But it goes with anything. Any purchasing the behavior is unconscious driven first and then afterwards the conscious brain kicks in and says well let's make up excuses or work out how to go and get this thing and make it a reality so uh yeah so many people do it the other way around though in 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 advertising and in, in certainly in videos because that you, you know they they will talk about all the bad stuff and then that great feeling of of you know of of achievement and how it all going to look is always at the end but it, it now you say that it makes total sense that why would you not want to hook someone with that to start with so that they then watch the rest i mean it, it makes total sense and yeah and it, and it makes sense that when you see these adverts where it's like someone will be showing their Lamborghini or showing them, I don't know, in a hot tub with lots of women or whatever <laughs> it can be. And that, I don't create ads like that, but you could. But it's still appealing to some people at that unconscious level. And, and the beauty is, is that, well, it depends on how you look at it, but like you can logically say and consciously say, oh, that's terrible. Like, oh, I'd never want to advertise like that. And oh, before you know it, you've bought their course or you bought their, <laughs> you bought their training or you whatever it is. And it's like, e even logically, you can say things, but before, before that happens, your unconscious has kind of decided whether you want it or not. And then if you want it, you end up probably buying it's it. Like because, people who yeah. plaster their success and stuff like that for their to brand their businesses, like you say, they're lying on the on the bonnet of some sort of supercar, and you go, God, that's so. But then inside, you actually go, Well, how have they how have they got there? And you want that? Kind of, you think that's <laughs> disgusting, but you're like looking through to find yeah. out. You know, because secretly you want to be lying on the bonnet of a Lamborghini or something. Like. Yeah, it, it would never work if it was like a TV ad and like your whole family watching and you're like, oh, I'm going to go and buy that and click publicly. <laughs> yeah. Like publicly, everyone would be like, no way. But if it was you by yourself with your screen and you're like, okay, bye, I bought it. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's by yourself. You're kind of in your own little world. No one needs to know what you're doing. And it's so amazing how much the unconscious takes over. Come in, isn't it? That's where you can say, well, I've done it because of the, the mileage or the, you know, it's got seven seats or that, you know, if you actually told people the real reason is because you could put a surfboard in and drive into the mountains and, you know, never come back kind of thing, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't probably wouldn't sit so well, would it? Exactly. And, that, and that's why, like, when you say, like, try and people try and go the conscious route first, which is like, we've got loads of credibility and we've got kind of like, we've got all these case studies and here how, here's how our method works. If we lead with that, that means you're relying on the, on the viewer's conscious brain to listen in and say, please listen in because this is great content and this is really useful for you. Um, but it's, it's not ready to because it has to take instruction from the unconscious brain to kick in. Like the, uh, the conscious brain is super lazy and it's kind of a slave to the unconscious brain. The unconscious brain will decide when it kicks in the, the, the conscious brain because unconsciously, that's what deals with everyday life. Like I, I'm not consciously thinking of the words I'm choosing as I'm on this podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm literally just thinking from experience and that's all unconscious thoughts going on to kind of 
verbalize what I'm what I'm trying to say. Um, now, as I say it, now I've become very conscious of how I'm saying what I'm saying. Um, but the unconsciously, that's kind of what's happening. And that drives everything that's happening every single day. All of our behaviors are so unconscious. And they're just, we've learned how to deal with every situation uh, pretty much that we happen to come across every single day. And so unconscious minds take over everywhere. Only when something seems, seems like you want something or something seems different in the environment that your conscious brain has to click in to be like, all right, this is something new. Um, or I haven't got that and I want it. And now it's like, right, we need to formulate a plan of how to go and get that or formulate a plan on how we're going to deal with this next time. And that's the only time the unconscious brain kind of kicks in. So we relearn something and then it can kind of like learn it unconsciously again. And we go back to unconscious processing. So when someone's watching a YouTube ad, they are unconsciously processing it and we have to get them to want what we have first and then allow them, like give them the, the stories for their conscious brain. Because uh, then that part of their brain will be like, okay, cool, I'm, 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 I'm satiated too. I'm happy to to go ahead with this. It doesn't really matter if you get the conscious brain on board or not. Sometimes, because uh, it's going to happen inevitably anyway. But it's it will speed up the process because if you if it logically makes sense, then um, people will go from there. But it kind of comes full circle back to the way that we work as an agency. We are offering our services for completely free, no risk. I'm taking away all the fears that people have of like, oh, employ another agency, lose money, lose time, um, not get the best result. It's going to be awkward when I sack them, all that sort of stuff um, that goes through people's heads. And that's kind of their, some of their fears. I'm taking out all of that by just saying, we'll do it for free. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Sort of thing. And going with that, we'll spend our money first. It changes the setup. And that's like a Unconsciously, they want to advertise on YouTube. They want more business. They want to have a more successful company. Consciously, they're wanting to logically work this out. But now I just give them the perfect story to be like, well, I haven't got to risk anything now. Um, and um, so it makes it a very easy decision for people to take. Where do you think marketing is going? I mean, YouTube ads in particular, what, where is it going to be in the next four? Because it's quite hard to imagine forward, isn't it, sometimes? But where are we going to be in four or five years, do you think? What's going to have changed? Okay, so this is one of the challenges I've got right now. And I, I, I think that one of the biggest changes that will happen is AI will kick in, we're already seeing it come in aggressively now anyway. And um, I remember getting started seven years ago on YouTube ads, and everything was very, very manual, you had to kind of like, click every single button and, and do everything you want. And Google could make it happen. But it wasn't like you were borrowing any machine learning, or they didn't know anything about your customers any pixel you had there's no lookalike audiences or things like that it was purely a case of you want me to turn up here like like billboard advertising that's what it was like just very strategically built um and now you can kind of say to google hey can you kind of find me can you find me these types of people please and they build you an audience for you and then you advertise to it and you test it out and see if it works or not that's only gonna get stronger and stronger so i think that the actual ad buying process of all the geeks that do it ridiculously well. And I, I say geeks lovingly because I am a geek. <laughs> my Half my team are geeks and I love them. <laughs> and, um, and a lot of my friends are geeks as well. So that um, side of it is, and that's, that's ripe for disruption. That's gonna happen at some point. And it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a scary time for a lot of agencies, in, including ourselves. Um, but it's gonna be amazing for business owners because you end up finding the advertising becomes easier and easier and easier to do um which will put a strain on the creative front because creative right now can't be um ai'd so to speak i don't know if there's such a verb as to ai something but um creative can't easily be uh, built through ai 
because there's a human touch, there's everything, everything we've been talking about here with the unconscious and the conscious is like to create a really good ad takes thought and takes human thought uh, right now. And that piece is going to become more and more valuable. But I don't think it's going to be so late for some clients, or not necessarily our clients, but so late for agency clients um, or companies doing their own stuff, because now is the time to master your creative. And no one's really paying attention to this. I was speaking to someone yesterday who was interested in having us write some of their ads. And I was like, well, we do things in a very specific way. And we do these kind of like this unconscious, conscious brain, these acts that we do in the ads themselves. And as I was going through it and talking to them about it, they're like, yeah, no, 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 look, we just want someone to write a script, three minute script, about 30 seconds. Like, it probably takes about a maximum couple of hours to put something together. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, different conversation that we're in it. Like we're, we're not the right person for you, but that's cool. Um, there's people that I know that can write really good copy, but they're probably not going to be able to do something in a couple of hours, just as an FYI. <laughs> um, and people still are in that mindset of like, it's, they're still looking at creative as like a commoditized, if you can write copy, you can write great ads. And that's where I feel like is a big um, problem for a lot of people. But if you get good at writing creative, then everything in the future looks actually really exciting. But I think you're going to get find a lot of people don't value creative right now. And it's a real struggle. It's like the people that buy the ads, the advertisers and the agencies and the companies that are spending a lot of money on advertising, they know the power of just one really good ad. It can take you to a whole new level in your business um, because you all of a sudden you can start to advertise more, you get more profit, you can scale more, everything becomes different. And then if you get fatigued with that ad, like if you run it for a few months and it doesn't have the same impact it once had when you first got started, you need to replace that with another ad. And if that's not a formula, if you don't have a, like a system to create that and be reliable with your results, you end up getting this situation where you get this peak and trough again. And that's why I don't like different offers that kind of, you have one good offer and then another very good offer next week and things like that. It's really difficult to get that mastered. So keep that consistent, but you're going to have to be replacing all your ads uh, on a regular basis. And you need to be able to know what actually works when it comes to creating ads. And that creative piece is what everyone is just overlooking right now. Um, and I think that we'll look back in a couple of years and be like, ah, I, I never really, I still don't know what creative works and I don't know how to create good creative. Um, and it's a, it's a finding machine, but it'll be too late by then because all the AI and all the machine learning that's out there will just be kind of increasing the cost. And a lot of companies will be like, great, well, we worked it out a couple of years ago. We know exactly what creative works really well for us. And we've got a library of it. We can just keep on re re uh, rinse and repeating that stuff and win the day. And it's very difficult. If you're not number one, when you're advertising your niche, it's very difficult to break through to become number one. You always end up kind of fighting over the scraps of what number one didn't want. Um, and it's a, I don't know, I paint a very negative picture. I'm just kind of looking out to the future and just saying, thinking like, it's just a big disruption. We're already seeing this across loads of different industries and advertising is going to be no different um, in the next probably six to 12 months. It's, I think it's very wise words, actually, because I, I would agree with you, actually, Kate. And I think we've seen this. There's a lot of people that want to learn how to, they want to learn the technique of running an ad, as in what to click and how to put the ad and what the budget to put. But there's not a lot of communication around how to write the ad and what it's got to say and how it's got to look and all that sort of stuff. And that's what you're talking about. It's the creative side of it, which I suppose going back to the 17 year old in the corner doing the social media, that's his problem. He doesn't know how to create what to say or what to show or the image or the feeling or any of that stuff. He just knows the buttons to click to get it up there. So I suppose what you've just said there is that's just going to get worse if people don't get on the bandwagon and start to 
learn this stuff, which is really wise words, I think, actually. Well, I mean, if you if you were to be in a situation, I mean, you're saying this earlier, like if you were to be in a situation where um, you are advertising and you're doing really, really well and you're beating the competition, it actually is quite easy to stay there because you just can afford more than the rest of the competition. And when you test something, your loss is still a win because you're kind of saying, okay, well, that ad wasn't quite as good as the one we did before, but let's try different. Oh, that one worked really, really well now. And now you've got a new benchmark. If someone's like creating ads that are half as good as yours, it's it's like a cliff. It's it's not like, a, oh, well, their cost will be a little bit more expensive then. It's like, no, no, no. It's going to be like five or six times more expensive. Yeah. And you just can't easily play catch up and it's getting more and more competitive. And so the... I honestly think that like when you get advertising work, it can run around a whole business. It can like, if you can get really good ads running, you can scale and run a business and you don't need to do all the regular posting and that type of thing. Um, still good to do all of that. Don't get me wrong. It's just more a case of like the advertising can be such a power play within your business that um, a good month on advertising and a bad month on advertising, those two months look drastically different for the whole business. If, if you have that scenario in six months time where you still don't know how to create a good ad. I just, I just, I just see it as a big problem because you're not gonna be able to break through quite as easy as you can do now. Like imagine if you were to advertise now, like with what you know now, if you were to go back six years ago and advertise on Facebook, you'd be like this, okay guys, let's all go deep on this because we're gonna nail this. Do you know how big this is gonna get? It's gonna get crazy. You kind of had that about two years ago on YouTube, like that perfect time to get into YouTube. It's still great at this point. Um, but you now need more experts to help you out with the process. It could be like two years ago, you could have played around with it and lost some money, won some money. But then as soon as you figure out something, it scales like crazy type of thing. Mm-hmm. Now there's more competition. It's not quite so easy to play like that. And you need like the right people in your corner to be able to do it properly. But um, yeah, like the 80-20 the of advertising is all creative. Like if you get a good bit of creative, that'll easily be any good ad buyer. Um, and so if you, and that's open to anybody, right? Anyone can learn how to get, create really good ads. And as soon as you learn that stuff, you, you just make your agency's life easy and you grow with ease and you scale with ease. And it's like, it's just that it's such a big opportunity right now to get good at creative that everyone's missing it. Everyone's overlooking it and not even looking at all the agencies know that's what needs to happen um, and aren't communicating it very well, typically because the agencies aren't that great at creating creative themselves. So okay. it's this weird cycle, but everyone needs to learn how to, how to sell their stuff with video if, and as a video ad as well. If they have that knowledge, life gets so much easier. That's amazing. Tom, you've been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us today. How can people find you or connect with you and, and get to see some of your stuff or where, where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah. So the best place uh, where we have the agency and we have some of our trainings um, and that type of stuff is on viewability.co.uk and my books on there as well. And then um, if people want to kind of reach out, they can either go to tombreeze.com or they can I'm normally on Facebook and those sorts of platforms as well. Um, but yeah, viewability.co.uk is the best one to go to. You've been absolutely amazing. I've learned so much today. Thank you so much, Tom. Absolutely brilliant. And guys, guys. thank you for tuning in. If you're watching on replay, thank you so much. You've just been listening to Tom Breeze of Viewability. What a guy. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Awesome. Cheers, guys. Bye.